Hello and welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited, where we'll cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go too much further, I'd like to thank Alexios Arctos for his amazing sound engineering and editing work and Raphael Crooks for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. Today, we welcome Jim Matlock back to the podcast as we talk about the impact of dreams on reincarnation recall. It's no surprise to me that dreams play a significant part in reincarnation as, if you think about it, sleep is the sole focus we undertake largely to support our consciousness. It gives the mind time to process and order the information the brain has received throughout the day. It's the state in which we're most relaxed and receptive, and so it's also the time that we're more in touch with our subconscious state. It has long been reported that children are most likely to remember past life memories when they're in a dreamy or sleepy state, and I suspect that if communication is required from the other side of things, dreams provide the perfect medium to deliver that information to us. There are two different roles that dreams play in reincarnation research. And the first is in the form of announcing dreams, which usually provide information on events that are coming or are current, rather than focusing on the past. We don't get into the announcing dreams much in this session, as we're going to do a whole other episode on that, because there's just so much fascinating subject matter in relation to announcing dreams. The area we will be discussing today, however, is that part that dreams play in past life memory recall. So let's join Jim now and talk about this interesting topic. I'd like to welcome Jim Matlock back to the program, and today we want to talk about the interesting subject of dreams. Now, there's two types of dreams when it comes to reincarnation. You have dreams that give indications of past life memory, but there's also dreams where you have announcing dreams. We're not going to talk about announcing dreams today because that's a huge subject on its own, but today we want to talk about dreams and their connection with reincarnation past life memory. So welcome back to the program, Jim. It's great to talk to you. It feels like forever. Well, it has been, Marilyn. It's been quite a while since I've done one of these. But I wonder if we should start off by saying what an announcing dream is, now that you've mentioned it, just to set it aside. So an announcing dream is a dream that typically a a woman has, but it could also be her husband or a friend, that announces the rebirth. So yes, those types of announcing dreams, they can also be apparitions that have the same function, that serve the same purpose. Yeah, we'll deal that with that another time, because you're right. I mean, it's another huge topic. And if we haven't dealt with that yet, we need to. So today, Jude, we're just going to talk about dreams, right? Yes. Just regular dreams. Yeah, just the regular dreams. So before we start, if we look at past life memory recall, how different is memory recall of past life to the memory that we experience in life? Are they similar or is, it, is there a difference? Yeah, you know, that, that is, to me, that's sort of the key question. I think they're very similar. And I, it, it's not just in dreams, it's memory in general. I mean, past life memory has a lot of things in common with present life memory or regular memory. You know, it it can be cued in the same way. You get the same sort of patterns in it, where in our memories of our present life, there's something that's called a reminiscence bump, which is that events closest to in time predominate. You get the same thing with past life memories. Actually, that's the recency effect. The reminiscence bump, excuse me, the reminiscence bump is uh, usually in the middle years of life, and for some reason, there's this bump of, uh, you know, a, a period where things are particularly likely to be recalled. And that's the same with past life memory. You know, and other patterns, too. 
So it's very clear that past life memory is a species of memory. It's not it's not a psi. It's not a psychic thing like ESP. It's memory. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? I often wondered if they were similar or if there was a difference between them, but it makes sense that they actually follow the same pattern as our actual memory in this life. It does. It does. And and it, um, it, it's very dissimilar to what you see in Psy experiences. When we talk about past life memories, they often show the same discrepancy as we experience with our own current memory, don't they? Where like, you, you know, Often you can have two people will recall an event from completely different angles and they have different <laughs> mindsets on it or even different um, remembrances of it. And it's a similar thing with past life memory, isn't it? Yes. Well, we don't have too many cases where we have people remembering the same past life. Well, remembering past lives of friends who, who, you know, remembering the same events. We don't have any cases at all of two or more people who remember the same past life. But remembering events that they were shared in a past life, there are a few cases like that. And yes, uh, the subjects of the cases remember them differently from the appropriate perspectives. Yes, exactly like that. You know, and like you say, I mean, you know, we each remember things differently. I mean, we can see the we can experience the same thing, remember the same event, but we remember different things about it, you know. Or even to have different, completely different sort of like, I can think you said this one thing and you can say, I didn't say that, I said this or. You know what I mean? Like there's almost yeah. like uh, we have a, with memory, we, we remember it, but it's not a perfect recording of it, is it really? No. And, and that's that's also an important dimension of this. Yes. I mean, we make mistakes in our memory. People make mistakes in their past life memory. It's not perfect. Mm. So what actually constitutes a past life dream? Can you give us an example of how a past life dream might look different to, say, a nightmare or a, a normal dream? How can we sort of differentiate between the two? Well, people who have them, and I never have had one myself. I just I study this stuff, and but people who who have them say that the the past life dreams are extremely realistic, that they feel different than their normal dreams. They just feel different. The other thing is that they'll remember them on waking. Most people don't remember their dream. They may remember them long enough to write down their dream journal, but they don't remember them after that unless they go back and refresh the memory on them. Whereas dreams with past life content, people will remember. Um, also, they tend to be recurring. Very often they're recurring. I think they're more often recurring than just one-time dreams. So if you have one of these past life dream things, you're likely to have it again. And the very same thing. I mean, sometimes there are variations on it, but most often it's the same thing playing out in your mind. A bit like James Leniger or Scott Perry, as we've talked about in the podcast before. Yeah, and there we're getting to a particular type of dream, a traumatic dream, a past life, a post-traumatic stress-type dream. This is another interesting dimension to them. There's so many interesting dimensions to this subject. But, you know, people who have PTSD related to things from this life, say, you know, war or major accidents or you know, whatever, will replay these things in their mind in the same way. I mean, they, they'll these the, these memories, the traumatic memories, will replay in their minds too. And the characteristics here again, we come back to a very similar thing. It's characteristic of these post-traumatic memory dreams that people will wake up sort of in the middle of them or towards the end of them, at the point of climax. They'll wake up. They'll wake up in a sweat. Very often, they'll remember it clearly after waking the very same things with the past life memory things, except that the event that triggered it was in a past life, not in the present life. 
And it doesn't always relate to an end of life thing, isn't it? But I think people have the, the thought that they have a past life memory, they're going to dream about their death. But sometimes I think it can actually be traumatic things that happened before they died. Because Jeff Keane was a bit like that. Well, he had, his, wasn't a, his wasn't a past life dream, although I think he did have some dreams about his life once he was woken up. But his actual response at Antietam wasn't remembering Gordon's death. It was remembering the day he was shot. That's right. So it's a, it was still a traumatic thing, and traumatic things tend to be more memorable. We know that. Yeah, I, I would say that the, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is true of past life memory in general, even though, you know, deaths being traumatic events predominate, you know, if not predominate, then, you know, I mean, that you find them in a, you know, you know, more cases than you, you don't, right? But many, you remember many, many, many other things too. I mean, the people who have these memories remember many, many things. And the key there is it's, it's, it's emotionally significant to them somehow. Yes, I've always felt that emotion is very strongly tied to past life memory recall. It seems to be about remembering the emotion rather than remembering, say, your house right. number or what your house looked like. Precisely. You might, you and, might and pull it, that up, but usually it's more about emotion, seems to be. Yes, you know, and that's why I think that it's, it's so seldom do you get, you know, addresses or even names. Mm. So if we look at past life memory recall from dreams, if you looked at the, the population, like how common is it to actually have past life memory from, how common is it to have past life memory for a start, but also how common is it to have it from come from dreams? Yeah, it's something I've thought about, and I, there's no, we don't have any way to answer it yet, because the, it's just, the appropriate studies just haven't been done. What has to be done is a, you know, a broad survey of memory in general. And the questions have to be asked about, you know, have you had a past life memory in that context so that we begin to see how many people have past life memories. We don't have any study anywhere comparable to that. There have been studies looking at memories in dreams, right? But that's this life memories in dreams. And the, the ones, the, those studies of just, you know, dream reports in general, how many dream reports have to do with memories versus imaginary things. With those, we do have that statistic, a statistic, and it's one to two percent of dreams have memory content. But we have no idea whether that's true of the past life dreams or not. We just don't know because we haven't done that sort of studies. Now, one thing I can say in this respect, though, is that looking at cases of dreams and past life memory, probably, well, I don't think probably, I think I can say this, they're much more common in adulthood. That is, adults who have past life memories are much more likely to remember it in dreams than children are. Children are more, much more likely to remember it just in the waking state. They may also have dreams, but they're more likely to have waking memories. That's really interesting, is it? Do you think it's because as, as adults, we tend to kind of repress our subconscious and we tend to sort of try and work or face life from a logical point of view rather than from a consciousness point of view, whereas kids are a lot more sort of consciously attached at the beginning? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's a very large part of it. I think another part of it may be just the brain. The brain is more developed and has better control over the consciousness. But you see, that relates to what you were just saying there. You know, that because the brain keeps the, the subconscious down, it keeps it under control, keeps things from coming up. And that's why that's why it's easier for adults for them to surface, you know, in dreams or in meditation 
or going in and out of sleep, hypnagogic hypnopompic states. You know, when the brain is less in control, the past life memories have an easier time rising into our awareness. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I made a comment to someone once, and I really believe this, that it's interesting that we have like a sleeping cycle, because when you think about it, our sleep cycle is purely for the subconscious and the consciousness. We get our food from food. We get, you know, the, the body itself doesn't need it. It's the consciousness that needs that downtime to just be able to process and order itself for the next day, I guess, and to work out what it feels about what it experienced. So it's quite interesting. The other thing which we see in past life dreams is that they're not always completely accurate. That's Um, what I was just going to ask you. Are they actually more like the regression sessions in the sense that you get like imagination and cryptomnesia coming in? Or are they more like the kids' experience where they just remember? I would say maybe neither. I think that what happens in the dreams very often is the dream elements come in because dreams are very, you know, think about our regular dreams. I mean, they're extremely creative, right? I mean, all sorts of bizarre things happening. And so sometimes, not always, sometimes the past life dreams are more or less accurate, like the children's memories, waking state memories, really incredibly accurate. At other times, they can have these really imaginative intrusions in it, overlays in it, Things that like change it, and maybe maybe the, an example would be good here. Should I give an example of one of the cases to illustrate this? Because we haven't t- really talked about cases so far. I mean, it's one that Stevenson studied in Lebanon, the Jews of Lebanon, and this this guy had a dream about uh, sitting. He had he had various memories as a child. Had memories of a past life, and he also had this dream where he was sitting under a balcony, the stone balcony. That collapsed on top of him and killed him because the, the stones hit him. Now there were not, he had enough memories that Stevens was actually been a, able to solve what we call solve the case. That is, find the previous person, learn the identity of the previous person. And when you've done that, you know the details of that life and, and that death. You have something to compare it to, right? And when he compared the dream, so in the dream, besides being hit on the head. He also had the image of goats running over all of these rocks that had fallen. Well, when Stevens actually looked into this, everything was accurate except for the goats. There were no goats around the time that this happened in this guy who died. So the goats were brought in uh, into the dream, you see. And so, you know, it's partly a past life memory and partly it has this, this very imaginative overlay or intrusion into it, you know. Yeah. And so we have to be very careful then with these past life dreams. And unless we can take that step of actually verifying them, you know, verifying the past life, knowing the past life. So we know we have that reality baseline to compare the dreams to. We can't say that this dream is entirely accurate. We can't. I mean, people, a lot of people have past life dreams and they want to believe that they're all true. And I have to constantly caution them. Occasionally, these dreams are true. And I'll give an example of that. But there are other times where you have these intrusions like this and you can't tell. You can't tell what is an intrusion and what's not, what's right and what's wrong, unless you know the underlying truth. And if you don't, then you're just, you know, you're you're left hanging. You're sort of deluding yourself. I agree with you. So in a way, you have to employ the same reservations that we talk about with regard to regression and that is that you check 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 every fact and be prepared to will it winnow out what is actually true yes yeah exactly in that respect exactly like regressions 
and and it lacks spontaneous memories too, for that matter. I mean, unless unless you can check them out, you don't really know uh, what's right, and you can't check and see what's wrong, you know, because there are there are errors also in the spontaneous memories, the kids' memories. The reliability rate, it, on average, tends to be fairly high, like 60, 70 percent. But it's still, I mean, you know, there, there, there are a good number of errors in many cases. It's rare to find one with very few or no errors, very rare. But when you look at the human mind, you can kind of understand how that happens because we do tend to kind of process what we experience. And in processing it, we might sometimes change it into something that's more palatable or, you know, or even something that we can understand more clearly, particularly when you're a child. So, you know, it's it's always impossible too to remember everything completely clearly. I don't think any person right. could could look at any memory they have in their current life and go, I remember that crystal clear and with no errors in it. If they went back, they'd probably find a lot of their memory is actually slightly altered or wasn't quite how they remembered it. Yeah. I mean, and it's incredible in mainstream memory research that so little research has been done with actually how accurate memories are. In general, it's known that memories can are, are not always accurate, that, they're, that, it, that it's a creative process. But of uh, remembering and reconstructing the past. But, uh, you know, I, that is often said just on a general basis without having really studied it. You know, having people write down their memories and then going and checking them out. People don't want to be bothered with that, right? And so, I mean, researchers don't want to have to be bothered with that, with going with, you know, all the labor that's involved with actually checking the things out. And so we don't really have studies of, of memory accuracy. And that's interesting, isn't it? I suppose it makes sense because in a way, I mean, you're talking about a massive a massive chore to kind of winnow through, winnow through it all to try and work it out. Like, I mean, you'd have to keep like records of over years almost, wouldn't you, really, to see how your real... Well, well yeah, either that or you, you. what you would need to do as a researcher is, is what we do in, in, you know, in reincarnation research, go back and interview people, go back and interview people's parents, go back and look for documents, somehow or other, try to verify. Or, you know, when we say verify, we don't mean necessarily prove as correct. We mean determine whether they're right or wrong. Mm. But that takes effort. It takes great effort. Mm. And you get in mainstream memory research things like uh, you get assumptions. Like uh, there's a very interesting study of early, early memories. And the study was, uh, the, the, uh, the researchers were surprised, they say, but how many people remembered things or claimed to remember things from very early in their life. Mm. They dismissed all of that. They dismissed it because, according to them, the brain was not well enough developed to record these memories. So all of these things that people claim to remember, they just assumed were fantasies. They didn't go and check and see whether they were right or wrong. They just assumed that they're wrong. It's funny that people who are sort of, you would almost expect a researcher to be more like a forensic pathologist, where they would be wanting to document exactly and clearly what was actually happening so that you could have a full picture of it. But that doesn't seem to be the case, does it? It seems to be almost yeah. like there's some aspects where they just go a bit like the same with the law and the tribes. I watched an interesting show that I mentioned last time. It's called something like Ancient Civilizations, and they were talking about all of the law that was related to the different groups of people around the world was al almost dismissed by the archaeologists when they were doing digs, when really yeah. when you think about it, the law is actually the history of the tribe and it might be told in myths and legends but it's still actually probably related in some sense to something that actually happened in the past 
Yeah. So it's interesting, isn't it, how there's almost like a um a bias against certain areas of study? Oh, definitely. Yeah, in, in mainstream science. And the bias comes from uh, materialist assumptions, physicalist assumptions, that the brain, uh, that everything comes, the consciousness is generated by the brain, the memory is stored in the brain, and all of this. And if you start with that, it blocks you. It, 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 puts, your, it puts blinders on, and you, just, you, just, you don't see anything, you don't hear anything. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? We really do need to change that mindset, I think. So you mentioned, speaking of studying past life dream accounts, you mentioned on the Science Encyclopedia site the work of Frederick Lenz, where he recorded Mm -hmm. 19 past life dream accounts, the majority being from adults. And some of the adults experienced a sensation of of smells as well being associated with the dream. Is that a common thing or is it usually, do you normally get those sort of other smell and touch kind of experiences? And emotions. Yeah, I mean, people who describe these dreams, I mean, they're very, they, they're realistic. I mean, they feel the same emotions, they'll smell the same things, and it's not just a visual, it's not just a visual thing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I was looking at the Science Encyclopedia site for some of the cases, and you wrote about Maria Morales Lopez, who was a Guatemalan woman who experienced pain in the back of her left flank whenever she came near someone with a knife. And she found it strange, but was unaware until middle adulthood that she had a diamond-shaped birthmark in the place she experienced the phantom pain. Subsequently, she learned that her great-uncle had been ambushed and fatally stabbed with a machete, but before she found that out, she had a dream about being stabbed with a machete in a bar. Yeah, I think she was stabbed in the bar, by not by a machete, by some other, by a knife or something else, wasn't it, I believe? But anyway, yeah, I mean, then this is another example of the kind of, of distortion, a different kind of distortion, but still a distortion, right? You know, she's hit in the, the setting was different. Instead of being in the highlands of Guatemala, she's in a bar. You know, instead of being stuck with a machete, she was stuck with another kind of bladed weapon. But still, you know, hit in the back, you know, and in explaining why she felt the phantom pains in the area of her birthmark. Yeah, it's in, oh, that one really fascinated me. I thought that was uh, quite interesting that she really didn't even understand herself what she was feeling yeah, or what she was experiencing, and yet it yeah. actually was a proven, could be tied to proof, I suppose you could That's say. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so it's quite fascinating. And uh, I haven't really got any other questions, but I was just thinking we could probably run through some of the cases because there's some really fascinating ones that you brought up on the Science Encyclopedia site, and I would recommend people do go. I loved the story, not that I loved because it's quite frightening if you think about it, but the story of Mary Magruder who was a little girl from the American Midwest, and she used to have a dream about being chased by Indians and dream ended sometimes with her being caught and sometimes of her, her being seized by the hair. And then when she went back through her past family tree, she actually found a correlation to it, didn't she? She, she... Yeah, yeah not, more than that, she went back to the place where her family had lived 200 years before. And at that place, uh, it turned out that there had been an Indian raid. This is part of the family lore. But Stevenson was unable to really show definitely that she was remembering uh, a child of that family. There weren't records going that far back. And, you know, so we don't really know. But she did recall an event that could have been related to something that occurred earlier in her family. And this is the reason this is interesting is that we often see reincarnation patterns in families. People often reincarnate in family lines. So the fact that there was a family history, something somewhat similar 
to or maybe very similar to her dream when she didn't know anything about that family history at the time she had the dream it does make you wonder yeah yeah it's a, it's it, to me that's a really good strong indicator of reincarnation because you're not working off any even off any memory that you've actually had you i mean you are in the sense of she remembered the the hair and being you know but i mean she didn't have any other facts and to be able to kind of tie that into as you say the family experience i found that really fascinating i thought that was an incredible case yeah. There's another one, uh, maybe my favorite of this bunch, is one that Titus Rivas, uh, a Dutch researcher, did, the Christina one. And the reason that I say that maybe my favorite of these is of the way he went about solving it. Because there are not many cases in which we have written records, you know, before solving the case. And we do in this one because she was, he learned about this this case. It was a girl who, he, he, he used a pseudonym, Christina, for her who had this dream about dying when her house caught fire. And she had memories of, of, how, of why that happened. It was Easter, she said, and she was a child in a fairly large family. And the kids was fighting, and parents sent them up to their rooms. Well, one of her younger brothers started playing with matches. And uh, <laughs> you never a good idea, right? And he set his mattress alight. And that made the house catch on fire. And she remembered her, you know, standing at the window. And there was a fireman outside with her mother. And the fireman was trying to get her to jump and the other kids to jump. And a couple of her siblings did jump. She was afraid to. Was overcome by smoke. This is the dream. This is a dream. Okay. And in the dream, she's met by a spirit figure, a woman, who says, who takes her with her says, come with me. And as we have in these cases, sometimes memories between uh, of death and rebirth, and this, this is in a dream, not in a waking memory, but in a dream, uh, the, the spirit woman says, come with me. And she shows Christina three women to pick from to be her next mother. Yes, that, that was and, interesting. Yeah. And what you, but what's really interesting is she, so she chooses a woman, a blonde woman, who's typing in an office. So that's in end of it. What she that's the end of the dream. So the mother recalled having heard of a house that caught fire because you can imagine. I mean, this is going to be a major event in the news, right? You know, several children die. You know, in a in a, a house fire in a neighboring town a few years before this, and that gave Titus Rivas or Titus or however he pronounces it the clues that he needed to go back to newspaper archives and determine, indeed, there was a fire in this house, in a house in this town in which several children uh, died, one of them because she wouldn't jump. So he wrote about this. He wrote this up. And then he found out, well, he made, there are two things that happened. One, he, and he may have found this out before, uh, before writing it up. It turned out when he interviewed the mother, her hair, she was a brunette. In 1973, and the fire had occurred in 1973, she was working in an office as a typist, and she had dyed her hair blonde. Wow. So that matches you know, the memory of the little girl. It, it matches the memory of the little girl. Exactly. But at this point, uh, he doesn't, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, all this makes it plausible, right? But he didn't know. But then after his story was published, but he can't get in touch with the family, okay? After the story is published, one of her brothers sees the story, recognizes it, comes to him, 
and verifies many, many more details of that life. So in the end, it was all solved. All of her memories turned out to be correct. The dream memory and her other memories of this life. So you mean the brother of the original family, the the, the brother the, of the little girl who died in the fire actually saw? Correct. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? Isn't, because, it, isn't it incredible? Yeah. yeah. And, and so this is the kind of case that we that's really ideal. This per, this is the you know the one that we that we've published you know before that we've written about before. It's on record. No way anybody can doubt it. You know, this is what the facts were, and then later it's solved. That's amazing, isn't yeah. it? Because just to make a point too that we hadn't talked about Christina, the the woman herself who had the dream couldn't be asked because she'd actually died in an automobile accident before That's right. Titus Revis or Titus learned about the case. So That's right. Yeah, he had to talk with the mother only. He couldn't interview her. Wow. So to have that verification from the brothers of the original family, that's huge. Yeah, really. So this was a dream that, that was accurate. I mean, there weren't fantasy intrusions in it. Mm. So... With regards to the memory of Christina, where she said the lady in white told her she died and escorted her through the burning house and then showed her the mothers, does that happen, you know, when kids die young? Do they often have a very long intermission period or do they tend to come back pretty quickly? When kids, this is an interesting issue, uh, kids who die young tend to come back very quickly and often to the same mothers. If the mothers are still a childbearing age, they'll come back to them. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and so this this gives a lot of hope. If, if your child died very young, it may well come back to you. So if children die later, it just depends on how old the mother is. It's more likely than that they'll come back as a grandchild or something. That's and interesting. This, this, yeah, it is very interesting. Yeah. Or to a different or to, you know, it, it, people do not have to come back only in their in their family lines, you know. No, that's true. They can come back to other families, as Christina seems to have done. It's interesting she didn't go back to her that's own, right. own mother. That's, Maybe that's right. Yeah, that is interesting. Yes, yeah, mm. it is interesting. I mean, why why didn't she? We don't know. Fascinating, isn't it? So, given all these questions, I guess the thing we really need to reiterate is that we need to do more research into the dreams, and so we can understand and document. Actually, I think is the big thing: the cases that come from dreams a lot more clearly. Yeah, and you've had other you've had other episodes on it. Like uh, we might as well, you know, let's mention those. I mean, you've had Dan- James Leininger, and we talked a little bit about him, but also Scott Perry. Mm, yeah, and Scott's is very interesting because the trauma that he had from the past life has really badly affected him in this life. Like he, that's right. He's almost caught in it. Why do you think, with regards, to, I know it's a PTSD aspect that people have the recurring dream over and over and again. But in Scott's case, he still, I think, occasionally still has it, doesn't he? Well, he tells me that he doesn't have the dreams anymore, but it's like it's replaying in the back of his mind all the time. I mean, it's there. He can't get away from it. Yeah, I get that feeling when I talk to Scott that he is still very much living in the memory, I suppose you could say, of June, and it's very difficult for him to look to his own life for any kind of Progression forward, I suppose you could say, I think he feels kind of stuck in the memory of June in a little way. I think he does, and it's very difficult for him. And, and again, I mean, this he, more than any of, anyone else that I've studied, that I've read about even, fits the pattern of PTSD in this life, where these dreams just recur and recur and recur. They're realistic. 
but these people have to spend years in therapy resolving them. And the thinking about this is that the reason that they keep recurring is that they wake up, right? Remember, I, I said that one characteristic of these PTSD dreams is that people wake up and they wake up before the event or whatever that they're remembering is completed. Like if you're remembering, you know, a death, they wake up before they actually die, you know, or something like that. Now, Scott remembered the death. He actually remembered that. But the thinking is, and, and so the therapy is directed to helping them remember or act out, process the whole event so they can let it go. The idea is that they're w- waking up before their subconscious can totally process it, right? And so they need that help. Scott and his family wouldn't listen to this. They wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't believe him. You know, they wouldn't believe that it was a you know, past life, you know, and so he had to suppress a lot of it. I mean, his, his father was, his, not his, his stepfather was sort of emotionally abusive to him and physically sometimes too, I'm told. And that just pushed it all inside. He learned very early he could not talk about this stuff. And that kept it inside. It kept him from being able to process it. And I think that's why he still remembers it in this way. But I've heard other people talk about these PTSD type dreams who had them recurring for years. It took him a long time to resolve it, but he's the only person I know who never managed to really resolve it. Yeah, it's very sad because he's a lovely fellow and he really deserves to be happy in this life. So I'm still hopeful that some help can come to him in the form of medicine that might actually be able to help him move forward from it because I'd love to see that. Right. Or, I mean, he feels like talking about it with you helped him. He feels like my getting a story out has helped him. And he may be right about that because we're listening to him. We're allowing him to talk about it. We're not dismissing him. And, you know, there are other people who, through us, because of us, other people have learned about his story too or are now interested in it. And that validates him too. That values him too and helps him, I think, process it. So my hope is that with these types of things, as he becomes more comfortable with this and gets away from the family refusing to allow him to talk about it even, or, you know, it's no longer pushed down that he can gradually process it. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think that validation can be huge, not just for the children. I've come across a few adults as well who have either had a past life memory dream or have had memories that they've kept from children, childhood right Right. through, but they struggle because they feel that they're not allowed to talk about those dreams because, or those experiences because they'll be laughed at or mocked or people won't believe them. And I think we think of that only being something that affects the kids, but in actual fact, I think it can affect adults as well. So it makes it very hard to, I think you're you're right, that verification, that that validation of you are believed and you are, we're not thinking you're crazy or you're not making this up. I think that's huge. Yeah, it is. There are two things here, the validation and verification. But before I, I, I comment on that, I want to comment on, yes, Scott began to have these things very young. So, you know, we began to have them at three or four years old, right, these dreams. And they continued. Uh, he continued to have the dreams, I think, into his 20s. And then after that, you know, they just replayed in the back of his mind without him having the dreams still, the recurring dreams. But they would recur, you know, maybe a couple times a week or, you know, you know, a couple times a month for many years, many years. And that's typical of this. 
Then there are other people who, for one reason or another, don't have memories in childhood, but have them triggered in, in adulthood, but still have recurring dreams, very often traumatic dreams, you know. But there are two things. One is the validation, having people around you, listen to you, honor you. The other is being able to verify what you remember as true. And that's so difficult to do. Unless you have um, memory, unless you have names, unless you have detailed memories or something very unusual. And fortunately with Scott, we do. He remembered in the name and a June. He didn't remember other names, but remembered the name June. He remembered something that was very specific. That is dying in a Ford Model T car in a flood. And those things, you know, he searched for years until he happened just to run across uh, something on the internet that referred to a major flood in Los Angeles in 1934. There was a, you know, a major event. It was a New Year's flood in 1934. It's one of these things in California where we still have them occasionally, you know, the cyclic thing where the brush gets burned off and the rains come and, you know, and all of the, the stuff washes down the mountains. You got to, so he was caught in that. So he remembered those details. And when he learned about this 1934 flood, he was able then to go even further and find a picture of this Ford Model T overturned. <clears throat> and then through the news accounts of the time, back up, determine who was in the car and find a girl named June was one of the girls. And so he was very fortunate in being able to actually verify his memories. And that's hard to do. That's very hard to do. But for what I to say was, uh, he's the fortunate one in this. Many people have these dreams, have these post-traumatic dreams uh, of past life, of seeming past life deaths or events, but they don't have enough details then to verify them. And they're stuck. They're doubly stuck. They're stuck because people won't listen to them. They're stuck because they doubt themselves. Yeah, that's very true, isn't it? I um, think there's a lot to be said for documenting absolutely everything you remember. We say all the time to people document, and some people say, well, I don't really see the point in documenting because to me about it's not about proof. But I think the thing is, if you can document it, you may be able to have something that you forgot about, and this comes back to memory recall as well. And this is why police officers actually write a notebook of every event that they go through because if you don't document it, it's very easy for things to slip out of your memory or, or, or for your mind to actually remember it differently as the years go on. And in doing so, while you might not be able to verify it at the time, we now have so much information at our hands that, you know, there's a chance in the future that you may find things popping up, you know, you find on the net or whatever. So, and if you come across something, trust your gut and search it out the same as Scott did, because Scott just, the minute he saw that flood, I remember him saying to me, he just knew, he just had his, his, Uh that's the one, that's the one. And while you should not accept it and just go, oh, because my gut says that's the one, it gives you then the jumping off point to verify. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, so. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, a lot of people just, you know, they, people are two types. They have two responses. One, there are those who really want to, you know, to learn more and validate it. And then there's those, like you said, I mean, who just say, oh, I know it's true because I feel that it's true. I don't need to have it verified, you know, you know, so you have that. But like I said, I mean, you can't, unless you know the truth, you can't be sure what is false and what's right. And even in, in Scott's case, there may be things that are wrong. 
for instance, you know, when I went back and and looked at this and researched, it was New Year's Eve. Uh, that family had been down in, in the Long Beach area. And so they were going back home. It was about 45 minutes away. Now, in his dream, he remembers setting out, but the dream was like compressed, compressed. time yeah. compressed, right? And so you have the impression in the dream that the flood happened immediately after they left. Well, no, it didn't. And so, so the dream is changing some things. Fortunately, it didn't change the important things, right? Well, that's true, though. I mean, if you think about, too, when you're looking at something from the perspective that you remember as a child, like I remember when I was a little child, I ended up having my appendix out. And I remember being in this massive room in these massive beds that I couldn't climb up onto and everything seemed huge and terribly frightening. And of course, when you go back and I ended up, my father ended up in the same hospital. And when you go back, because it was a hospital that had old sections, you get to see those rooms again and you realize that they're actually really quite small. You know, yeah. your, your perspective yeah. changes and it's because you 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 change in yourself. Well, and it's because you, you start off as small and you get bigger, you know. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I've had experiences like that where I've gone back to places that I remembered from my childhood. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember in my mind, uh, there, there's a big, 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 tall fence. One could not see over it. I go back as an adult. I can see over it. It's not so big, <laughs> you know. Which does explain, too, also, like, I mean, we are living this constant evolving experience and it does explain why memory can change as you go along and things that you thought that you remembered at the time as i said yeah. that's what that's why police write down when they go to cases what happened because quite often as they go through and they see other cases and all things it's easy to forget the things that you experienced at the time so that's why yeah. they write it down on the spot so that they've right. got exactly those yeah. base memories right and that's why in you know if you're if anybody interested in this sort of research or even just for yourself, like you're saying, keep a dream journal if you've got these things. If these memories just come to you, or if your child starts talking about these things, write them down. Keep a journal. Because the child may want to be, you know, to look at that journal as they get older, because the memories may fade. And you, if you look back, you may find things that you've forgotten. I've had people do this. They have kept journals and tell me things and then then go back to their journals and come back with new details that they've forgotten. You know, it is the way we are. It's the way our memories work. We don't remember everything and we don't remember everything accurately. And that's why it is so important to keep these notes and why the police do and why lawyers do and other people. Exactly. Yeah. And, and when you say that about, you know, when I asked about the percentage of people who have memories, I think that there's a actually quite large percentage of people who have memories, but because we don't pay a lot of attention to it, or we do think it's just imagination, we don't document it. When I was in hospital, you as you're waiting for surgery and things, you often sit and there's a lot of time just sitting around and people will ask, what do you do? And I say, well, if I used to be a transcriptionist, but now I do a podcast. The minute they hear reincarnation, the number of people, and it was a staggering amount. It made my eyes pop how many people said, oh, my child said this, or I used yeah. to have memories when I was younger and I can't remember them anymore. You know, I think it's a staggering amount of people who start out with memories and then they just forget it because they're getting involved in this life. So it yeah. would be really interesting to do numbers on it because I guarantee you if you talk to anyone and say that you do anything with relation to reincarnation, people will start popping up with things that they've said, their cousins have said, their daughter has said, you know, it's quite prevalent. 
surprisingly. Yeah, yes. And, you know, and everybody who works in this field has had that experience in public speaking. When we go out and we talk about these things, people will come up to us, you know, and give them their stories. Yeah. And I I fully realized this. I did. I didn't. I guess I did not really appreciate how common they are until the advent of social media, until I got on Facebook, frankly, and started reading all of these accounts and realizing just how many of them there are and how prevalent they are. Yeah. I mean, they're just a whole lot more in Western countries than we realize because we don't share them with each other. There's almost a stigma in Western countries, and that's what you and I are trying to break, of this, you know, I think people think, oh, you know, did I remember that right when I was a kid? Or, you know, I better not talk about that because it sounds a bit weird and it makes me sound like the odd man out. You know, there's this kind of almost like a fear of talking about it. But I think it's really important, especially if you're a parent and it happens, you should document it because, as we've just discussed, people can actually come to their, if they've had a memory that was traumatic or whatever when they were child they've come to those memories again as an adult when something has happened or when they've had a dream or whatever and if you've got written down what they used to say when they were younger it might actually help them to deal with it and process it right 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 i would also say that it's become easier now i mean i again and again and again and i see i have a facebook group my facebook group is called signs of reincarnation experiences and research because i want to hear people's experiences i also want to educate them about the research right because this research has been going on a lot longer than people realize. Stevenson went into the field in 1961. So we've got over 60 years now of solid, systematic, continuous research on this subject of reincarnation. And people don't know that, right? And so there are other groups on Facebook that deal with reincarnation. Ours it has the research angle. Anyway, we get people coming regularly who say, I haven't been able to talk about this. Or nobody believes me. And so I'm coming here and telling you because I, I think this is a safe place for me to tell you, right? Mm-hmm. It is because we will listen, you know, and we want to listen. We want to hear. And I think that, that helps people, right, to come and, you know, and share their experiences in a supportive place. Well, I think that's really, really important because I think there have been so many people who've come in and said, look, I don't want this to go beyond this forum because I'm embarrassed about it. And then when they start talking to other people and they start realizing that there isn't a unique, necessarily unique view, that they actually sharing these experiences with people, it's very empowering and it's very freeing for them. Because And then they're often more willing to talk about their experiences because they lose that sense of, I'll be mocked. You know, they start to realize there is an audience out there who will accept it and will listen. And it also right. points out how crucial it is if you have a child who is experiencing memories or dreams or whatever, that you don't mock them, that you do acknowledge acknowledge that these children are actually experiencing something. Yes, yeah, by by no means put them down. At the same time, I think it's also good to say it's probably not wise to try to draw them out, at least all the time. You know, my daughter was one of these uh, children who had these memories. I always allowed her to bring it up first. When she would bring it up first, I would send her ask her questions, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring up the topic at any other time. But she would come to me, you know, every, every month or every couple of months for a while when she was three and tell me a story. I want to tell you a story about myself is the way she would always preface it. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, what a- you know, and that's typical. I mean, the children and adults too, I mean, they have the sense this is about themselves. They recognize, of course, 
that it's not themselves. They're they're a different self now, but it's still them, right? It's still them. It's interesting, isn't it? There's still that attachment, and that's you'll often hear people who talk about with past life memories. And sometimes I'll start off saying, oh, that happened to that person back then. But as they start talking and they feel more relaxed and comfortable, they'll start saying, I remember back when I was doing that back then kind of thing. Like it's interesting how the wording changes when people have that Mm -hmm. feeling of relaxation and they feel free to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, because for many people, I mean, they just, as we get older and then they become more self-conscious about it and they realize how strange it sounds to say I and so they start having the distancing E. But if you start, you know, if somebody likes me, like me who researches this and they feel safer around actually talking about this with because they realize that, you know, I'm not going to put them down, that I have heard other stories like this, then they will shift. They're still shifting to the I. And, and I'll have to tell them, look, I and mean, this is this is typical. I mean, the I is typical. You don't need to, you know to fear that. It's not strange. It's not just you either. People with these memories, adults or children, feel connected to them. They feel like it's a memory. They feel like this happened to them. Even if it happened in another life, it happened to them. And there can still be quite a lot of emotion tied to it. So it is something that is very important still to them, even though it is from a past life. It can be something like Scott, where it's something that is still very relevant to them. And I think it only by allowing them to be able to speak about it, will you free them up from the burden of it in a way, I suppose you could say. Well, yes. And, and, yes. And that's, that's the same issue with, with the dreams, the PTSD dreams. You know, allow them to talk about it. Allow them to get it out. Don't do what Scott's parents did to him. Mm. You know, you know, allow your kids to get this out. It may not be pleasant for you to hear now, Carol Bowman, and a lot of your listeners will know her name. Maybe you've read some of her books. Her books, she has two, was one of the people who interviewed James Leininger. And at that point, she has some clinical training. And that was because one of her children, she went into that. So Andrea Leininger, uh, James Leininger's mother, asked her for advice on how to handle these nightmares, because James was having these nightmares, right, of the plane crashing. Uh, he remembered, you know, a plane crash off Iwo Jima. Not well during the battle of Iwo Jima, it's off a different island. But anyway, close to it during the same battle, and he would have the dream of being shot down and not being able to get out of his plane. And this is one of these recurring dreams. And he had this dream before he could articulate it, right? But then he was able to tell his parents what it was about, and it went on and on and on and on. So they asked Carol Bowman what to do with this. And she told him, she told Andrea Leininger, the best thing to do is to keep allowing him to talk about it, but reassure him now that that life was over. You're in a different life now, you know, so support him. Don't put him down, help him make the transition. And it worked. That's the thing, isn't it? It can be such a beautiful healing thing to do. And so easy. I had a friend, uh, not a friend. I had a lady contact me and asked me about her child and said, how do I deal with this? What am I supposed to do? And how do I also stop my child from feeling that the past life person is more important than him? And I said, I think the important thing is to let them know it's okay to speak about it, but also let them know it's okay not to speak about it, that they don't have to speak about it. And also just reiterate to him, I really like hearing about, say, Patrick's story, but gee, I really love you. You're the one that I really love. So that there's that differentiation and they know they're safe to talk to you about it and not going to feel 
put down or threatened or like it's going to take too much from this life in a way. Yeah. For many of these children, it becomes easier as they, you know, it becomes easier for them as it gets older. They process some of this stuff and it drops away. The memories very often do fade. The behaviors do fade. It gets better over time. But it can be very difficult, you know, not only for the kids, but for their parents for a few years there. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. And I think just approaching it with kindness is the best that you can do, really. Exactly. Exactly. And dreams, I, I do want to bring dreams back to this. Dreams are a big part of this. So with children, very often they'll have the waking memories and the dreams. With adults, more often, you know, just the dreams and not so much the waking memories. And that's, that's sort of the difference between the children and adults. Well, the other thing is, too, is if you're married to someone who's having dreams, the same thing applies. Allow them to yep. speak about it. Don't shut them down. Don't tell them they're imagining it or they're mad or whatever. Just be accepting yep. and allow them to talk about it. Because right. Be supportive. Yeah. Be supportive because it is something that is very traumatic for some people and it is something that can be very life-changing when you have memories, especially if they appear, you've been fine, you're an adult, and suddenly you have a dream that that rocks your world, you know. That's right. And there can be different triggers for these dreams. I mean, very common trigger is anniversary of the death. I've heard of of several, yeah, I've heard several of these cases where they, again, I mean, you, you until you can solve the case, you don't really, you can't know this for sure. But when you can solve it, and you look at when the memories, uh, you know, the dream memories started coming. They started coming just at that point, right? So it's, it's like, well, two things are going on there. One, the memory of that event, that traumatic event, is pushing up the consciousness. There's also the awareness one has survived in this life. One is living longer than one lived in the previous life, you know, and so there's that element. But there'll be other kind of triggers too. Another kind of trigger is, Going back to the place where you used to live, I mean, that can bring things, you know, to the to the battle. I mean, you know, you're talking about it with Jeff, you know, was triggered by, by going back to Antietam, you know, and, and that's how his memories began to surface. They got more developed after that, but that's how it began, you know. I mean, that's another common sort of trigger. And there could be other things, too. So if an adult suddenly starts having dreams like this, help that person try to figure out why they suddenly began. And that can be an important clue, and it can be an important way of helping them deal with it, right? If you can understand it. Because that's one of the big things. What we don't understand is more troubling than what we do. Yeah, that's a very good point to make. And it's it's very true. I mean, do you feel that people who have memories that suddenly appear as an adult, do you feel that they still have things to work through? Or do you feel that it could be just sometimes like a jar or like a shock to the system? Oh, I remember this place. I remember being here. Do you think that there is something they still need to work through, though? Or? Yeah, I do. I think it can be both, but they're not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, the shock can bring this thing up, but you know, it's still what it brings up is something that one has to work through. Yeah, very often. I mean, this isn't just dream memories, but waking memories in adulthood too. Very often, the things that come up are things that still have that have not been fully resolved. It doesn't have to be traumatic things like this. It could be one of the things that we see very often with these memories is that a woman who who dies young and leaving a lot of children will worry about her children. She'll want to get back, you know, and, and to her children. I mean, Jenny Kakel is is you know maybe the paradigm case of this. 
because she wrote a book about it, going back to her past life, uh, children and family. Uh, but we, we see that sort of thing a lot, this sort of unfinished business, I call it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it, really? I mean, I think, and I think Ryan Hammonds had a degree of that as well, didn't he, with uh, regard to the adopted children that he had in that life. Ryan? Yes, or... that's right. Yeah, yeah, that was Ryan. That was Ryan Hammonds. Well, Jim, it's been remarkable talking to you again, and it's been an, a really interesting subject to talk about. I'm so delighted that we got to touch base again. I've missed catching up with you. I really have. So hopefully we'll be doing a few more, and we'll definitely do announcing dreams in the near future so we can cover the other okay. side of dreams, which I think would be probably a good almost part two to this one. Yeah, I mean, that'd be good. Yeah, I've enjoyed this too, Marilyn, and it has been a very long time, so I'm glad we're coming back to it. Yeah. Uh, another, have we done intermission memories yet? No, we haven't. That's okay, no, that's that... another one we should do. Okay, we should do announcing dreams and then intermission memories. Those are different. Those are different apps. There's yes. a lot to say about both of them, but we should do both. All right, we'll do those as the next ones we do. Announcing dream first, and then we'll do intermission memories, and then we'll go on to other subject matters because there's just so much to discuss. And you're so knowledgeable. It's so nice hearing you talk about it because you're a font of information. And I think that's well, what people really need to hear. So. Yeah, yeah. And I'm an educator at heart. I mean, I'm an educator, period. I mean, that's what I'm trained to do, you know. So, yeah, no, I enjoy talking about this subject in particular. And I've been at this for a long time. I mean, the knowledge doesn't come from nowhere, right? I've been at this for a long time. And, and I, I'm, I'm very happy to share what I know. I, it's important, I think, very important. Well, one of the things that I want to say before we do sign off is that for my listeners, if you're interested in getting into research with regards to reincarnation, Go on to Science of, Re of Reincarnation, which is the forum for Jim, and drop him a line because he does a university-level course that will actually give you the tools to allow you to become a researcher, to be, to be able to do what he does. And it's crucial. We need to get more people involved doing the research because as Jim and I have discussed in the past, there are so many areas that need to be researched that there's just not enough people to do it all. So I think Jim has the courses regularly throughout the year. But feel free to drop him a line or drop me a line and I will certainly get it through to Jim because you could, if you really feel a passion for it, you could have that lifestyle that you want, the same as Jim, where you actually spend your days doing research on it, which I think would be amazing. Well, so. I, I guess that, thank you, Marilyn. Thanks for mentioning the course. Yeah, I'm retired now, which is one reason why I'm able to spend so much time with it. But I, I would also add that what we really need in this research, of course, is people from different backgrounds, right? So it can be not just academic backgrounds, other backgrounds. The current session of the course, I've got an artist, you know, I've got a therapist, I've got uh, somebody who deals with animals and is more interested in animal therapy. And all these, you know, in the past, I've had not just psychologists, but also philosophers, neuropsychologists. I've had all, you know, different type of backgrounds. And all of that is important. I mean, Reincarnation is a subject to really understand that we need all these different perspectives. So there are so few jobs that are on this specifically that what's necessary is good training in another area, right? And then bringing that into reincarnation. So I just wanted to get that in there too. So the course is to train people or to let them know about all the research that's been done on reincarnation and hopefully, you know, to carry this forward, right? so that we can make progress in understanding all of this. But thank you very much. I appreciate your mentioning the course. Well, I think it's a crucial thing to have there. And uh, 
I think the avenues for being involved in reincarnation work are actually starting to open up. I do an interview with a a lovely lady called uh, Tony Riley who does counselling through regression of past lives, but she also is doing like an educational course for people who are in the medical field who want to understand it more clearly. So there's a lot of avenues for people to explore the subject and to be useful in the subject. And yes. And that, as you say, that comes across every spectrum, really. I think even just having an understanding of reincarnation, we were actually talking about this before before we started this session, having an understanding of reincarnation can even just change your own mindset and your own thoughts on life. And so I think it's a very important subject to really embrace and look at. And things like Jim's course, fantastic, because you get all of the knowledge from all of the research. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Melanie. Yeah, so thank you so much for doing that. And I encourage anyone who's interested to contact Jim or me. I'll definitely get it through to him if you're interested. And yeah, I'd love to thank you again, Jim, for coming on. I can't wait to talk to you next time. All right, you're very welcome. I look forward to the next time too. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Uh Thank you, Marilyn. Bye. Bye. Jim and I hope you enjoyed this episode about dreams and the role they play in past life memory recall. As we mentioned, we'll be covering announcing dreams in our next episode together. Announcing dreams are fascinating in an entirely different way, because instead of looking back, the dreams are focused on the future and, as the name suggests, often foretell the impending arrival of a child. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Life Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any interesting stories about reincarnation, or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I would love to hear about them, and I can be contacted through my email at reincarnationplr at gmail.com, or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. If you'd like to support me, I'd be honoured if you'd become a Patreon supporter. You can find me on Patreon under Reincarnation PLR. I don't do extra content at the moment, but I'm planning to, And your support helps me to keep pumping out content faster and lets me keep on doing what I hope you love hearing. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose.